So hi, I'm Courtney Martin. I'm a studio potter out of Bakersville, Penland, North Carolina. And this is Cut the Craft. I'm really bad at thanking people. I feel, <laughs> and I feel really bad about that. I don't know what it is about me that was like... Don't thank anyone. <laughs> we we can make we can make this we can make this podcast your gratitude journal. My gratitude, right? Yeah. So that brings up a kind of a funny thing between me and Brian. He made we made this. I started this very very small book at Penland, and mm-hmm. I finished it um, at his house a couple months ago. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I can make this my gratitude journal. <laughs> And I keep I keep an update, and I'm like I still haven't written anything in my gratitude. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to Cut the Craft, everybody. I'm Brian, and I'm Amy, and we are here talking with Courtney Martin. Courtney, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Can you describe your work and the process to the listeners? Yeah, so I'm a studio potter, which for me means that I work full time making pots. Um, but I don't do production pots. I make sort of, you know, more or less what I want to make each firing, um, short runs of things, and I fire it all in a wood kiln. So my making cycle tends to be a couple of months long, and then I put all of the pots, about 300 pots, into a big wood kiln and fire it all up. So um, as far as there are some listeners who will have, I mean, we're kind of going across many different um uh, types of craft. And so for those yeah. who aren't involved in ceramics at all, what exactly can a pot mean <laughs> to someone? Right, right, right. A pot can mean a lot of things. I mean, for me, I kind of think of everything I make as a pot, even though it's not all necessarily functional. But basically, a pot starts with clay, and you either use a wheel or your hands, and you make it into something that you can you know, probably eat off of or serve off of. Um, I, I do have a question about the the kiln. Is that something that you share? I know some potters share kilns with other yeah. other people. Is that something that happens with you? Is that on your, your property or are you going to like Penland or something to do that? Yeah. So my wood kiln is just mine. It's on my property. Mm-hmm. I built it back in 2007. Um, it's a really cool structure. It's about uh you know six feet tall from in the loading space and you know about 15 feet across and then the chimney is 15 feet tall it's kind of an enormous thing made out of bricks (laughs) and mud and uh it it's it's just mine lots of wood fire potters do work together Mm -hmm. because it is so much work to wood fire and to process all the wood and just stoke for days and days Mm -hmm. my kiln is a lot of work but um I don't fire for days and days. I do a pretty fast firing, which is Mm -hmm. for me about 20 hours. Oh, wow. That's still pretty long. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still pretty long, but in the like wood fire world, it's pretty fast. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Dang. So, so you're, you're on, on standby or on duty for that entire time. Totally. Yeah. So I will get up in the morning ever since we've had kids, John, my husband um, starts the firing for me. So he gets up and goes down there around five and starts with like just a little campfire and tries to grow the fire really slowly about 200 degrees an hour. And then Mm. usually I get down to the kiln around nine after I drop the kids off at school and, um, and just keep, we are literally throwing sticks of wood in until it gets to 2,400 degrees. Wow. Wow. And and that's like a controlled process. That sounds like you're really careful to do it at certain increments. Is that what, why yeah, why is that yeah. well it's having to do with uh the ceramic material like in the beginning you don't want to go too fast because your pots can break oh. um and in the end it's slow because it just takes a lot more fuel and time to get the um the heat to a higher temperature at that point oh interesting like yeah it's really neat if you think of it as a graph it's almost like a exponential kind of curve where in the beginning you're using like little amounts of wood mm-hmm. but you're growing lots of temperature mm-hmm. and then at mm-hmm. the end you're using like tons of wood and like you know growing 20 degrees an hour <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it's kind of it's kind of like with your car it's really easy to accelerate from zero to 60 but the way to real apparently i've been told the way to really tell 
what a car is made of is when it, how fast it can go from 60 to 80. Oh, yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> I can't really work in that range to see what my car is capable of. <laughs> yeah, I, know, right? I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure like, it would be like a cartoon. Like all the wheels just yes. fall off. <laughs> oh, God. Best case scenario. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. But most of your work, as I've I've looked at it online, um, I, and I think I might have seen it at Penland before, but... Um, You've seen it at my house. Have I seen... Yeah. Okay. Because I think I remember seeing it and, and commenting that it looked like Courtney Martin's... <laughs> work um and people are gonna listen to the show and just be like brian's just interviewing people who he wants their stuff or already has it (laughs) well is that is that really a bad thing i don't know (laughs) um so so one of the things i recognized from your work was it the fact that it incorporates pretty large graphic geometric patterns yeah and my question about that is like what is your influence there and what draws you to express that in in clay well I think it probably comes from a variety of places so I was thinking about this and I was thinking that probably the root of it is I was always really drawn to math when I was a kid um and I always was really drawn to geometry like this is Hmm. you know they say artists aren't supposed to be good at math but I really (laughs) loved it and I was pretty good at it (laughs) that's good (laughs) and geometry in particular is so interesting to think about how you divide up spaces um uh but then in college I got to take a class or a couple of classes where we went down to Mato Ortiz Mexico and yeah, it was super cool. Down in Mato Ortiz, they're doing this pottery that's called they're calling they're calling it um, Casas Grandes Revival Pottery, which means there used to be native people in Casas Grandes Pueblo area who made pots, and they have since you know been displaced. And the Mexican people who live there, there's this man Juan Quesada who back in the 70s, he would um, be farming or having his cows out in the Pueblo area, and he'd find all these pot shards and these, like, whole pots. Oh, wow. And he was really interested in them because he could sell them and get money for them. Mm. But then he started thinking, like, well, these people must have made these pots using entirely materials that they found right here. Mm. So he started doing all sorts of trial and error, and he ended up starting to make pots. Um Wow. And this thing has grown, yeah, so it's grown into, like, he makes pots, he taught his whole town to make pots, Mato Ortiz is just known for making these, you know, quasi-traditional pots, and so we got to study with these guys, which was pretty incredible, Um, and they do a lot of geometric patterns on their pots, Mm -hmm. and so that was sort of where I got started dividing space and thinking about filling space geometrically like that. Wow, interesting. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, many times when you ask, oh, where do you get your influence from? A lot of times it is something where someone's just like, I don't know, I was just going with the flow and that sort of just <laughs> appealed to me. And you can like right, very right. specifically trace like that lineage of influence. <laughs> yeah, like so we were dividing, we were, you know, putting patterns on pots. And one of the things that has just always struck with me is they were talking about, Juan Casado was talking about how, um, you know, anyone can divide a pot into four. Like four is easy. You divide it in half and then half again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can do that with your eye. And dividing it into thirds, it's like still pretty easy, but a little bit trickier because doing it with your eye, you know, it takes some practice. Mm-hmm. He was like, but if you can divide into seven, like just by eyeballing it, like that's when you know you're a master. Oh, wow. Uh, and I love that idea, yeah. right? Like it's so, I don't know. Lil yeah. Courtney was like, challenge accepted. <laughs> right? <laughs> totally. Oh. No, and I, so I love like the idea of covering a, a surface of a pot with a pattern and thinking about the west the best way to divide it all up. Wow, that's, that's really, really cool. cool. So are you are you doing that mathematically, or is it all by eye? It's all by eye. Yeah. Cool. I mean, you know, I, there's some root in how I'm doing it. I guess that's mm-hmm. based on actual math, but mm-hmm. and um and when I guess just to give people who obviously are listening to this rather than seeing it, an idea of what we're talking about here. These are sort of geometric designs that you're expressing primarily through uh, layered glazes or because I know you use that sort of like latex, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the glaze, 
yeah so the patterns are all done with glaze um and i do this technique uh, you know kind of self-taught technique where i use latex re resist mm. to draw out the pattern first and latex is this really cool material because you can paint it on wet and when it dries you can peel it back off the pot oh wow and so yeah so i draw out a pattern in latex and i dip it in the first glaze and then I can peel the latex back off and I'll get back down to the bare clay. Wow. And so then I wax over the first glaze that I put on so that that part is sort of sealed. And then I dip it a second time so that a second glaze fills in the space where the latex was. Oh, wow. That's cool. so cool. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> and and just yeah. uh, as one last technical definition i guess uh the term yeah. would you just briefly explain what the term resist means i think you may you described it well but just so people know yeah so resist is basically some kind of surface that is going to not let the glaze adhere to the pot cool which in this case is latex or the wax right mm, okay right. cool yeah, thanks cool. that's awesome we're kind of switching gears here a little bit but does does craft satisfy something for you that you wouldn't get from like a normal nine to five job? Well, so I've never had another job. So, okay. You know, my knowledge of what that would actually be <laughs> is purely theoretical. <laughs> you can fantasize. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I think it does because I think that for me at the end of the day, I can kind of quantify what I've accomplished during the day. And I'm sure other jobs you're able to do that. Um, but it is, really satisfying to me to you know be leaving the studio and look back over and say okay I got all these things trimmed and I got these other plates thrown and tomorrow I'll work on you know x y and z it, it feels very orderly to me oh wow I like yeah. that yeah that's really good that's something I yeah I, I don't I feel like I don't get that satisfaction much with the sword. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, Maybe it's yeah. just wood carving. It just feels like it's such a long, laborious process sometimes that it's like I can't see my progress until like two weeks later. <laughs> I know, right? I see that in a bunch of crafts that I, I think part of what, you know, what draws me to clay is, is the process and how you move through the different stages. Mm -hmm. And do you think... You know, like John and I talk about that a lot where he... Um, you know, he blows glass and so he can blow a piece and then the next day he can take it out of the annealer and maybe it needs some cold working, but it's pretty much finished the next day. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like I throw a piece and then I have to trim the piece and then I have to bisque the piece and glaze the piece and then uh, fire the piece. And then, you know, like two yeah. months have gone by. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> a lot more process involved. I mean, I don't know if it's more, but it's definitely different in yeah. terms of like how you think about structuring things. Well, and especially because most of the time people myself included before I tried my hand at it for the first time a few months ago, sort of assume that that making pots is a very quick process that, right. oh yeah, you just take the clay and you throw it and then you have a pot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, so it's, and then I had uh, a friend here in Bloomington um, who's now down in Kentucky. We'll have to have her on the show at some point, but Ooh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And by, shout out to Ann Byers. Um, <laughs> but she kind of walked me through the process and I've helped with a few of their fire, her firings when she was at school here. And it was so, it was like things I had seen her throw weeks ago or months mm -hmm. ago, even have just, we're just still sitting there. I was like, what's the hold up here? Like, let's get this moving. And <laughs> she's like, that's not how it works, right? buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> oh. It is funny. So uh, you you briefly mentioned uh, John. He's your partner, and you have two little kids. And mm -hmm. do you have? Are, are there any challenges to raising a family and being a craftsperson? Is there a tension between family time and studio time? Maybe you can give us an idea of what that's like. Yeah. Um. So. I was thinking about this and, you know, there are plenty of challenges, but I kind of feel like the challenges are just raising kids is really challenging. <laughs> <laughs> just by itself. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's nuts. You know, you have these two tiny humans who rely on you for everything mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. wonderful. Um, but what I notice more is that we're actually really lucky because we have a super flexible schedule. Right. Um, which I don't even know how people are able to raise kids when you have a job you have to go to at nine o'clock. 
Yeah. Right. There's yeah. a lot of times that that doesn't work out. I actually think it's pretty, pretty great. You know, we had kids and like when Gray, when my daughter, who's now eight and a half, when she was born, um, we hired a babysitter to come in for, you know, three to four hours a day. And she would be at our home with Gray and I'd just walk down the hill and be in the studio but then you know if gray needed to nurse she'd come down the hill and oh yeah um it was really amazing it was kind of we were almost like breaking even paying her and having me work in the studio <laughs> really good for my for my mental state to yeah. be able to get a few things accomplished sure yeah i was just gonna say have you noticed um a difference in terms of your free time now that both of your kids are a little bit older you know they're not really teeny tiny yeah, it's getting easier and it's easier to have them in the studio. My son is four and a half and he is still a total handful. Um, so <laughs> there's a limit to how much I can get done in the studio with him. But he's become really, you know, involved in the gardening and the house maintenance and that kind of thing. So that's that's productive and nice. And when you tell us about their interest in pirates. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pirates are the coolest. Right. Agreed. So, <laughs> yeah, we do play pirates a lot. They have a big treehouse that we built and oh, cool. big pirate flag hanging off the edge of it. It's. I mean, I noticed even on your social media page, you have the little, you're flying the Jolly Roger. <laughs> and I was like, you know, Courtney's doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of pirates. I love the idea of just saying like, oh, you know what? I'm not going to do shit the way you want me to do it. Do it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe that's like uh, craftspeople are just the pirates of the job market or something like <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, we just kind of made it up how we did this. Yeah. So. <laughs> I know. Well, it's just, it's so cool because I've, y'all have such a well-oiled machine going on uh, in terms of like, oh yeah, we got these two kids. And then we like got this really nice glass studio right up the hill. And then like a really sweet, slick pottery studio right down the hill. And it's just like such a perfect setup, but it's so cool to hear that. It's just like, oh yeah, we just kind of, you know, you made it happen over time. It's not like you just walked into it. Yeah. It's nice because we live near Penland. We get a lot of people through like touring the area and mm. seeing studios mm -hmm. and it's it's nice to bring people through and sort of reflect on all the accomplishments we've made or all of the progress we've made on our property i want yeah. to tell you guys that uh yesterday i went up so we're homeschooling two kids who are in quarantine with us <laughs> which is hilarious <laughs> and insane but so i walk up the, to the shop yesterday to john's shop and john and gray are up the hill a little bit in the woods and cody's just at the back of the shop by himself he's four and a half <laughs> And I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'll show you. And he gets out the impact <laughs> driver. And on the impact driver, he has a, a core bit, like a, a hole boring core bit on his trail. <laughs> he's like, I'm just drilling holes. And he's like, he just like, takes a couple of holes out of this piece of wood that he has there. Oh my God. He's basically unsupervised with this thing. It's a slightly questionable parenting. But, um, but he was perfectly, you know, doing it well. So. <laughs> he had good technique. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really good. That's it's it sounds very familiar to me for like how I grew up. I was learning how to use a jigsaw yeah. when I was like probably your daughter's age um you're plugged yeah. in, you're plugged in tools yeah my plugged in tools um <laughs> that's what that's what amy that's what amy calls power tools plugged in <laughs> oh tools. nice plugged in <laughs> tools. i love it yeah. yeah but i i think i think that you know there there is that idea that like oh it's unsupervised and so it's kind of dangerous and everybody should be treating their kids like little you know glass houses i guess but i think as long as it's rel like relatively safe, I think that it builds confidence. Right. And I also like, yeah. if they know, if you're, if you say, Hey, you have to be really careful about what you're doing and remember that you have something that might be kind of dangerous in your hands. I think kids actually listen to that. Usually I remember thinking like, okay, yeah. I better be real careful. Cause I don't want to like, you know, hurt myself or cut my finger or something like that. And it, and I listened, you know, and I think that's, yeah. Maybe a little bit about like trust building between parents and children too, you know? So that's good. Yeah. 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 I mean, I and so honestly, too. if, you know, if they don't listen to that, you know, 
<laughs> I know. You're going to lose a finger. It's going to be brutal. If they don't listen, they'll still learn. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Oh, man. That's so funny. Yeah. Oh, and I wanted to, I was, I was thinking while you were, while you were talking, I was wondering how long you had been, like, how long have you had your studio? How long have you been practicing? Just as an idea. For- oh, yeah. So that's something we tell people when they come through too, because it's so easy to come by our property, you know, and see two studios and, you know, all this elaborate gardens and tree houses and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, we bought our place in 2004. So we've been working on this for a long time. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's great. I would say you've made very good use of your time there, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. You guys, Brian, you're going to have to come back and see all of the improvements we've done since you were here last. I can't wait to. I couldn't believe that my little book made it on the the shelf of of crafts or whatever it's called. (laughs) What's your, tell us about, tell us about your little book, Brian. Well, it was um, a book that I made when I went to Jim's the first time. Jim Croft, who is a big hero of mine and lives up in Idaho. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will hear lots more of Jim over the course of this <laughs> podcast, I'm sure. But I made this little book that's kind of like a little fuzzy cube. Um, but it all of the papers, handmade paper we made there. I spun all of the thread, the leather... Um, was our buckskin was tanned by Jim's neighbor and it has little live oak boards and a little brass clasp that I made. It's, it's just super cute. I think Um, it is. It's really sweet. (laughs) And so John, when I was visiting them was like, Courtney's birthday's coming up. And uh, I really, I, I really am drawn to this book. You know, would you part with it? And I was like, sure. And he, he hooked it up. I got a lot of, great canisters of glass canisters and things like that he's like just take what you need i want the book i'm like all right yes i I would just like put something else in the box and then i was like is is that too much you know no 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 take what you want i was like how about now (laughs) that's awesome um so courtney who is someone inside of your craft uh pottery that you admire and then Maybe you can tell us about somebody who's from outside of your craft that you admire. That is a hard question because there are so many people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys yeah. must admire tons of people inside your own craft. We'll accept a top three. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fine. <laughs> and it's not a ranking system, you know, just be like, oh, you know, I was reminded of this person or something. The person that comes to mind for me is Holly Walker. Do you guys know her work? She is a potter up mm-hmm. in Vermont, um, but she used to live around Penland. And she's primarily a hand builder. Ooh. And so she pinches these pots that are funky and, and bizarre. And then she draws sort of bold geometric patterns on them in bright colors. Ooh. Yeah, they're pretty fantastic. Uh, the way she divides space is masterful. I'm, oh. I just love it. So cool. that is someone you should definitely look up. What, okay. what was her name again? Holly? Holly Walker. Um, would you just very, very briefly just explain, uh, once again, just for people who might not know what hand building is and in contrast to what I'm kind of leading the question into the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So generally people think of pottery as like two things. You either hand build or you throw pots on a wheel. And, um, I actually think most people or a lot of people do both. Like I do both. I throw a lot of things and I hand build a lot of things Mm -hmm. and I, I tend to think of the wheel as just being another tool like your hands are or your slab roller is. Right. Um, but like Holly, for example, doesn't use the wheel. She purely pinches pots. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then uh, and somebody outside of your craft. And once again, we know this is a huge question and a hard ask. It's like being asked what your favorite so food hard. is. And you're just like, uh, spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would never Which say is nobody's spaghetti. favorite food. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> i get that kind of question all the time from my kids like what's your favorite dinosaur <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> well i'm pretty drawn to weaving that seems to be Ooh. the craft that i am looking at the most lately Me too um, really i just no, love, I love it, it. I, it's yeah. you know geometry and dividing space and that kind of thing is so mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. um 
But so, of course, like the master would be Annie Albers from the Bauhaus. Ooh, cool. Oh, so this is like a, hist- a historic person? You would recognize it once you look it up. Yeah, sure. it sounds really familiar okay. to me. I mean, I took art history about did. a million years ago, so. <laughs> right. So Annie Albers, you said? Yeah, yeah. She's great. She is, I mean, she's done a lot of things, but her weavings in particular really just speak to me. Um, but then when I think of people who are weaving right now, uh, my friend Daniel Garver, do you guys know Daniel? He is out in Silver City, New Mexico, but his weavings are incredible. Um, and Eleanor Anderson is making some really cool weavings right now, too. I love her work. Yeah. Yeah, she's a, she's brilliant. Can you can you describe those two different works? Like, the, what are they doing that you're in? Like that you like, especially. So I, I can try, but I, as much as I look at all the weavings, I have like this idea in my head of, of how one would describe it, but I'm sure a weaver would be horrified by my like, <laughs> description of what's going on there. We'll bring a um, weaver on I, the next episode. Right, right. Right? <laughs> um, but so, you know, you have the warp and the weft and, uh, and what those guys are doing it, I don't know. They're kind of putting like geometric blocks within hmm. the, the background. I don't know. You know, I'm not even going to try to explain it. It's super... <laughs> okay. You should right. look them up. Yeah. They're adding really cool patterns in geometry to, to cool. everything. Yeah. Cool, D- yeah. You said Daniel Garver mm-hmm. and yep. Eleanor Garver. Anderson. Yep. Yeah. She was a course student at Penland, which is how I got to know her. Okay. Oh, you know, that yeah. that brings me around to, I, I was thinking, we keep mentioning Penland. Um, do you, would you like to describe what Penland is? Sure. Um, Penland School of Craft is a renowned craft school that's located <laughs> about four miles from my house. Um, or we're four miles from them. <laughs> um, but it's a really cool school. They have classes in the spring and the fall. They do eight-week concentrations. And then during the summer, they do two-week intensive classes, workshops, and then they have residencies and there are core students and, um, you know, people end up staying around there and working through the school for, you know, years on end. And mm-hmm. then the community surrounding Penland is tremendous because of the school. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of people have settled in the area, you know, having done a residency there or just being drawn to the other folks working here. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we have maybe a hundred potters. Wow. You know, wow. In the immediate vicinity. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. Well, and amazing. I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is true. And I feel like me about to say this is how disinform misinformation gets spread, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I heard that the area around Penland and Asheville has some of the highest it's like one of the highest densities of self-employed people, i.e. craftspeople or something like that in the entire country. I don't know if that's true, Whoa. but yeah, I don't, I do not doubt that. Wow. Um, I mean, it makes so much sense to me. There are so many of us here. Wow. Yeah. But you just have to wonder too, like there's probably a lot of self-employed people in New York and there's also like a zillion people right. there. So I don't yeah, know. Right. Um, yeah. But, right. Once you start doing that math, but do either you- way, regardless, it is a, amazing hotspot for handcraft yeah and because there's so many of us here we have almost like a infrastructure built in in order to sell our work you know and so other potters around the country joke about how lucky we are here in north carolina because there is a buying market sort of established here so that kind of leads into a question i just i just thought of is like um do you feel as if there is competition among so it sounds like there's a lot of potters there, you know, a hundred different potters. Yeah. Do you feel like there's more supply than demand? Or are you guys sort of like quietly going home and being like, ah, another potter moved here. Like, let's, <laughs> let's take the pirate ship over and yeah, right? loot the... Yeah, now I know why you're into piracy. Just <laughs> <laughs> like shooting can- cannons through their kiln. Yeah, people ask us that. I, actually, I don't really think it doesn't feel competitive 
to me in a negative sense. Mm -hmm. I think that on a whole, people work together to market. You know, like one of the things Mm -hmm. that the pottery community around here or some of the potters around here does is put on a show called the Spruce Pine Potters Market. Mm -hmm. And that has grown to be, you know, one of my largest sources of income, um, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. You know, we have this small market here in Spruce Pine, North Carolina, and people come from all over the place and there's a line out the door the Saturday morning before it opens. Wow. Um, And, you know, that's accomplished by all of us working together and using all of our different, you know, media and, uh, you know, advertising kind of skills to put this on. Yeah. So there, and there's a bunch of things like that. Like, you know, we order clay together, we Mm. order materials together, you know, instead of asking our neighbor for a cup of sugar, we can ask our neighbor for (laughs) 10 pounds of fire clay. (laughs) So it's kind of like a power in numbers sort of thing, like a co-op almost. Yeah. 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 Totally. And people, you know, when they come up and they tour to, you know, our studios to buy pots, they're often, I think it would be less of a draw to just come to one of us. Mm -hmm. You know, people, um, there's a lot of people who have second homes about 45 minutes from here. There's some gated communities um, and mm-hmm. those folks will come down in a car and there'll be six people in this car and they'll go to seven studios. Yeah, that's really good. And I think it would be less of a draw if there was just one of us. Right. Yeah. That makes Absolutely. sense. Yeah. And they go down to one studio. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Uh, so, Courtney, you mentioned I, on I think your website says that your clay, the clay you're using is from North Carolina. And I mm-hmm. noticed, I noticed that the color palette that you're using is earth-based. And I was wondering if there's a connection between the local clays and the way you're presenting your work. Yeah. Um, so yes, there's definitely a connection. So my clay, I, I purchased clay from a company called Starworks, which is located in Star, North Carolina. Um, and there are some amazing people there making clay from, um, like dug clay from North Carolina. So, um, Takaro Shibata designed all these wild clay blends that I get to, you know, that he processes into a lovely material and I get to use. Um, and you know, local clay in combination with a wood kiln tends to bring up earth tones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think that compared to a lot of people using local clay, I kind of go more toward more bolder, um, like more modern colors, like white mm-hmm. and black kind of mm-hmm. theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is definitely like the process is dictating it, having a very earthy look, which I like a lot. What should I say? You're, you're using <laughs> So I guess I have a, a, I don't really know that much about pottery, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So f- for putting these different colors on the clay itself are is that like slip or is it glaze is there a difference between those two things what what are they yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah there's a big difference between those things um i'm okay. using almost entirely gla- uh, glaze on top of my pots to create patterns okay. and surfaces Slip is like a, a watered down clay essentially, and glaze it has ingredients in it that make it much more glassy. Mm, when it's um, fired, is that right? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. All right, let's play a guessing game. You need one to eat at the table and drink at the bar, unless you're real quirky. Whether you're in the office, a class, or on the porch, chances are you're using one. Chances are also pretty high that yours is from some faceless store like Ikea, though I'm just playing the game of averages, not attempting to offend you. But let's not beat around the bush anymore. If we're to beat around anything, it should be a maple, or some other tree good for the wood the best of these things are made of, because yes, I'm talking about chairs. Those inanimate, four-legged friends that silently carry our load, and which the American Heart Association warned us about a couple years ago not to use excessively. The thing about it is, you can't blame solid chairs for repeatedly holding up well. You can blame your personal decision-making, but that's beside the point. Solid wooden chairs light enough to make you feel like Goliath yet sturdy enough to hold Ben Franklin's fat ass full of tryptophan after a turkey dinner, are the expertise of Southern Maine's Tim Manny. 
He also makes woodworking tools like reamers, teaches, and writes. So, my friends, I recommend you get on over to timmanny.com. That's T-I-M-M-A-N-N-E-Y.com. And at least make one decision you know you can sit with for the rest of your life. I mean, I think when people think about my my pots and what what the distinctive characteristics are, I mean, I think people go to wood fire mm-hmm. and to the geometric aspects. Mm. Okay, cool. So it has to do with a lot of it has to do more with your surface treatment rather than the form itself. Yeah, I don't know. As soon as I said that, I think like <laughs> I could look at a backlit like uh, what's it called when they when they have like a protected witness, um, <laughs> where it's like they're backlit, you know, so you can't see yeah, their face yeah, or anything. Yeah. You just yeah, hear the yeah. robot voice. Yeah. Right. It's like I could look at that image and be like, oh yeah, that's a Courtney pot. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. I know. It's almost like you just get to know you get to know objects in that same way that you get to know people. Yeah, I think pottery, you know, maybe it's not different from everyone else, but there are so many hobbyist potters and so many people who have taken a class or have a wheel in their basement. And there are a lot of people doing things like using an electric kiln and store-bought glazes. And, you know, that process is totally valid and totally important and also like super different than what I'm doing. Right. Um, So I just think there's like such a, such a gamut you know like you just there's so many ways you can make a pot that sounds that's nice i mean it sounds it's refreshing to me to hear the uh, acceptance of different um technique uh and not just saying like well this is the only way to make a pot or this is the only way to glaze something or fire it or something like that i think sometimes in woodworking there's a um there's there's like a, polar- a right and a wrong yeah there's like this polarization and there is like a right and wrong way to make something obviously you don't want to make a pot that just sort of crumbles in your hands after you've you fired it <laughs> um <laughs> right right the same thing goes for woodworking it's like you know you have to pay attention to moisture content and all that kind of stuff but um mm-hmm. but i do think there's sometimes a tension between the plugged in tool people <laughs> and and yeah, uh, hand tool people, and that I I think sometimes we get a little caught up in defining what's right and what's wrong um, based on those right. sorts of metrics. Yeah, it seems more healthy to look at it as there are certain things that are definitely wrong, but many right ways of doing things. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right, like right, right. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. Yeah. You know, people are just happy that other people in their realm are able to make a living doing it. I think that's a mm-hmm. cause for celebration. Anytime yeah. someone who's trying to do something with their hands for themselves uh, is is able to make ends meet. <laughs> One of the things we talk about in ceramics is that like uh, there's no there's nothing new in ceramics. Ceramics was like the first thing people did as a civilization, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so like one of the things we all like to joke about if someone's like, ooh, I like what you did here, say like, oh yeah, I invented that. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, like, you didn't. Yeah. It's all been done before. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. yeah. that's really yeah, totally. <laughs> Well, because there are you know there are people who who believe that? Yeah, <laughs> totally. No, 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 no. That's exactly it. Like you know, you gotta have some reflection of. I don't know. <laughs> you didn't invent that. Yeah. No, I think it's it is it's always the most ludicrous thing in the world to me when, and, and especially in the world of handcraft, where people are. I mean, the whole idea is doing something that's been done by hand for centuries or millennia. Mm-hmm, so right. to then think. Oh no! This is my niche in this world, and no one else can step on that. Like, it just blows my mind. Yeah, trademark. (laughs) Uh, So, Courtney, what do you wish people not involved in your work or pottery knew uh, knew about it? Like, what's a question maybe Hmm. you get a lot of, or a question maybe people aren't asking you wish they were? Well, one of the things that we talk about is that part of our job as potters, you know, making like handmade pots today um, is that we have to educate people about why we're doing this and why it's valuable and, you know, what, 
would your benefit be of having this in your home? Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, if people knew how much was involved in it, like, you know, knowing more about the process mm-hmm. might help that. But I think, I don't know, there isn't something specific that I think people need to know about POTS. I think POTS are pretty familiar to people in a general sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think until you live with handmade POTS, though, it's hard to really understand what kind of value it would add to your life. What kind of value do you think that a handmade pot brings to your life that maybe a manufactured one wouldn't? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and maybe this is highly specific to certain people who are going to, you know, care about this kind of thing. But when I prepare dinner, I, in preparing, I'm thinking about like which pot everything is going to go in. And, you know, like last night we did uh, ramen noodles and the kids have like their version that's kid friendly. And then John and I have our version. And so John and I get like the big deep bowls that I made. And then the kids get these wide bowls that Sean Ireland made and the function of the wide bowl is that like the noodles and the tofu sit next to each other and they don't mix as much, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's what the kiddos want. And then for us, we have a deep bowl that we put in all the vegetables that we had around the house. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I was wondering what the difference was between the kids bowl and the adult bowl. I was like, is yours just like full of liquor or something like that? Like, what's going- <laughs> yeah. yeah. They don't want me to put a whole bunch of kale in theirs, so uh, the kale in ours. <laughs> theirs is just like floating, floating French fries and chicken wings. <laughs> They're actually pretty good about it. I mean, they you know have, it's like miso with noodles and tofu, but um, but yeah, you know, just thinking about function and how a different pot for a different need. I don't know. I you know, it's like a a value that you can't quite describe unless it's important to you. You know what I mean? There's something too that you mentioned, even just as you were describing that was like, oh, and then we use this pot made by this person. And I think one of the most beautiful aspects of incorporating handcraft into your daily life is just having that connection to other people where you can even, even, and even if it's someone who you don't know personally, like if you were uh, at a craft fair walking down the street at the different booths and saw you know a handmade cup from somebody and you bought that you at least are taken back to that day and that experience and like how nice the weather was Mm -hmm. which i often think about at this time of year (laughs) yeah right yeah (laughs) um yeah that's one of the things that we notice with people coming to our studio to buy pots is that part of what they're buying is is sort of like us you know and like Mm -hmm. they people always talk about our garden fence and how much that means to them and like the they pass by the treehouse on the way to the shop and I don't know. It's sort of like, it's like part of it is for, is the experience of coming and seeing, you know, these artists out in the woods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. Um, but I was thinking too, as you were saying that it, it brings you a connection. Like if you're drinking out of a cup that was manufactured and bought at Walmart, you're not thinking about that cup at all. Right. You know, yeah. you're just sort of drinking out of it. Yeah. And, it is a totally different experience to be eating out of something handmade because you're interacting with this object. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's sort of the nice thing about pots is they're almost like subversive ways of making art because it's in, it's like literally put into people's hands mm-hmm. and you are like literally holding this art and interacting with it, even if you're not doing that intentionally. Mm-hmm. You know what right. I mean? Like knowingly. Right. Like you're, I mean, you bought the pot and you're knowing you're eating off a, a handmade pot, but it's like seeping into your brain in a way that. subtle and unintentional the the pot's whispering to you it's just like it's like it's like down with the system (laughs) fuck the patriarchy (laughs) sorry i've i've just recently i know i'm a little behind the bandwagon but i found that listening to more rambunctious music helps me get into a better mood for making things and i had uh yesterday i was i had a big tool deadline and so I was making a bunch of tools and just blasting Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Nice. Oh, man, it felt so good. Oh. It's so good. It's so good to sing along to, too. Yeah. And and so and it's so, you know, a lot of it's kind of like these chants that get you all worked up. And it's like, even <laughs> yeah. though he's like, you know, even though he's like 
cussing a bunch and like saying all this seemingly like really bad stuff. He's it's like the message is let's be nicer to each other. Like maybe the people in power should not have that much power. Right, like right. let's no, let's let's help message. each other. <laughs> oh wow. I love that you can get from like fuck you, I won't do what you tell me to let's help each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That is like yeah. that is like- Brian to a T. Like there's something really terrible happening, and he's like, "Well, it's it's actually okay. Like it'll be fine. We just need to get along together." And I'm like, it's so funny. Yeah, y'all got me figured out. I'm just like, I mean, my favorite movie is Kung Fu Panda. So what do you expect? Oh, nice. That's right. That's right. I know we've watched it. All right, so getting getting back on track. <laughs> um, you use wood for firing, which we've talked a little bit about. And for the uninitiated, can you speak to different firing options? Maybe tell us a little bit about why you're interested in fire over another way to do it. And um, what does fire add to your final piece that a different um, method for firing in <laughs> are you using fire a lot in these questions but uh yeah, yeah. maybe maybe even just tell us like what's the difference between having a fire firing method and a different firing <laughs> method <laughs> yeah um so there there are like you know infinite ways you can do these things right but the general ones are electric fire with an electric kiln um a gas firing and a wood firing and within gas firing there's like a million different ways. And within all of these, there's all, all kinds of different temperatures you can go to. Mm. Um, and so for me, I use wood and I only use wood. I don't have any gas. Um, and what I like about it is a few things. One is that it's a relatively like sustainable way of firing your work. Mm-hmm. Um, I get wood from a local sawmill and the wood that I take from them is their waste wood that they're going to throw away. And, mm-hmm. So it's a free fuel that I I pay a delivery fee for a big truck to drop it off, but the actual fuel is free and um, it was going to be burned anyway. So, you know, it's not exactly carbon neutral, but it's kind of closer to carbon neutral than a lot of things. Um, And then when I'm actually firing, you know, I'm literally putting in stick after stick after stick. Right. And so you're intimately involved. Like you're not actually, um, you know, turning a knob and watching the gas go in, which, Mm -hmm. you know, not to invalidate any of these other processes because they are certainly totally valid, but putting in stick after stick, it just, you're very close to the fire, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is pretty important to me. I know one of the things when I've helped out with a couple of wood firings was sort of the factor of chance, I guess, that plays into it because you're just dealing with fire. And I've, I've heard a quote, and you hope the fire's your friend. I think it was Akira Sataki, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know people talk about it being collaboration between you and the fire. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah and it is nice to have a sense of chance. And, you know, that goes both ways, of course. But, you know, one of the nice things about the, fi- the using wood as a fuel is that the ash blows onto the pots. And so then the pots end up having a different kind of look on one side of them to the other, depending on where the fire face was and where the ash hit them. Ooh, cool. So outside of the craft you're in now, what else are you interested in? Is there something that you always wished you could have tried or you have plans to try in the future that's not related to pottery at all? And we've already, we've already covered piracy. (laughs) That's out. Right. Check. We've got that. (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean you know i was talking about how i'm so drawn to all these weavers that is really what i'm interested in trying i've never Mm -hmm. done it um but i do live right near penland so i've been waiting for the right weaving class to appear on their brochure Mm because i am going to take it and i really am very excited about it um but i think more than you know other crafts i'm in this position right now where you know my time is super full with small kids and Mm -hmm. So outside of the studio, you know, I'm kind of more interested in in being with the kids and spending time and thinking about mm. ways that I can engage them. Um, and one of the ways that, 
that we try to engage our kids and ourselves is sort of by, you know, thinking about sustainability and Mm -hmm. ethical responses to, you know, living in this world and in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, talking about that and researching that and trying to implement it in our lives as much as possible. So like one of the things that we do is we try to grow a lot of our vegetables um, and, you know, we have solar panels on the house and, you know, using wood as my fuel for my kiln versus gas, which I should say my husband is a glass blower. So our fuel consumption (laughs) (laughs) is already a little bit ridiculous. (laughs) Um, but even, you know, even with him, he has his furnace is electric because it's more efficient. And, you know, he tries to um, when he's on, if his shop is hot, he is working in it all the time or renting it to other people. Like it doesn't sit idle. So we try, right. to, you know, try to be very careful about waste. Does that tie into your decision, um, your decision behind using North Carolina clays too. Is that something that goes into your like sustainability mindset? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, using North Carolina clays, the aesthetics are wonderful too. Mm -hmm. Um, But using a small company like Starworks has been immensely satisfying. Like the other day I called to order clay and, you know, I I talked to the person who made it, Takaro, and, you know, I, I had some feedback about some issues I was having and he, you know, immediately heard all my feedback, told me his data on these things and you know wants to work with me to make a product that is going to work for the purpose that I'm using it for and you know just Mm. such a positive experience versus purchasing from a more corporate company yeah I think that that kind of thing is always worth the investment (laughs) if if, you know yeah as long as you can make it work (laughs) yeah yeah I know it's tricky because a lot of sustainable you know, companies or ideas are, are not the cheap ideas. Um, and mm. so there's a way in which some of this stuff feels like elitist also, you know? Right. Um, but I don't know. I think we all just have to do as much as we can. Or Yeah. yeah I mean, and, and you don't present it, you don't present it from, I feel like so much of elitism has to just do with attitude. And so uh-huh. I yeah. think it's very possible to participate in very pretentious things <laughs> but but make them very accessible to people. And I'm not saying what you're doing is really pretentious, but it could be if you talked about it that way, right. you know? Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> no, it would be really easy. You know, I, I mean, I I think that that was something I was trying to say carefully when we're talking about other, dif- other fuels for making pots, because yeah. I think there is an elitism to wood firing. Um, oh, interesting. You know, or like, I don't know, there's this, former attitude of like you have to be this badass and so tough and you're gonna stoke the kiln with all your wood or whatever <laughs> I just like, like you're walking away from a f- explosion with uh rage against the machine playing in the background I mean, right like <laughs> or or to me it's more like you know the good old boys club you know which i just mm. like i kind of reject all of that and if i am working hard and what i'm doing you know is badass and it is hard to do but there are lots of ways to be badass and that's not like the be all, you know, the end all. <laughs> uh, you mentioned, you mentioned that like a good old boys club. Is it, um, it has wood firing been uh, demarcated along gender lines in the past or is there some sort of history behind that? Or is it just a general feeling? Yeah, there's definitely a history behind that. Yeah. Um, you know, like a lot of mediums, once you get like a hot fire involved, the history tends to be mostly male Hmm. and you know I was in college in the late 90s and trying to wood fire pots you know you just people talk down to you as a woman Hmm. and Hmm. um I don't know I just feel like sucks yeah yeah, well I mean it's everywhere (laughs) though right like that's just how things are right yeah and once you add a big fire it just tends to have this like macho thing but Mm -hmm. I think (laughs) <laughs> on a whole, that attitude is evolving. You know, yeah. there are still mm-hmm. those those like older dudes who are wood firing who are, you know, so macho. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people who are wood firing who are not, you know, doing it as a patriarchal nightmare. I don't know. <laughs> no. Oh, no. <laughs> patriarchal nightmare. <laughs> it's something I think about a lot, raising two kids. And, I, you know, we want to be 
clear and honest with them about about their positions um mm. and what to expect <laughs> but also we want to <laughs> remain like optimistic of what they what they can create and yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like lowering expectations and hiring resolve. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I should say too, though, that like you know, I'm talking about the boys' club, but if you look at modern wood firing right now, um, there are so many badass ladies, like just so many, mm-hmm. and and it's really i don't know we i was talking about it with uh, my friend lindsay osterritter who's a wood fire potter in virginia and we were just talking about like you know when we were in our 20s there weren't a lot of women and so isn't it cool that like mm-hmm. now we're working with women in their 20s and mm-hmm. trying to hire them and show them what we're doing and like and they have people that are in their 40s to yeah. look at as a yeah it's no cool. that's awesome yeah, well, I mean, it's just like anything else. It's representation matters, right? So just seeing people doing it is, yeah. like, huge. Yeah, totally. Well, Courtney, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, any um, announcements you'd like to make about upcoming shows or something that have gotten canceled because of coronavirus? <laughs> no, My upcoming spring is canceled, and <laughs> our foreseeable future of income is canceled. And <laughs> no, I mean, I guess you know, in the in the fall, I am part of a group that does a show called Cousins in Clay, and that is going to be a fantastic time this year. It's Labor Day weekend, and you know, with any luck, all of this crisis will be behind us. Um, but we have, I think, eight guests, are eight people total, eight potters total, and we're sponsored by our local brewery, among others, and it's a fun time. So people Ooh. can find out about that on my website. Yeah. Oh, we can put um, a link on the notes, too, for you. Yes, in oh, the sweet. show notes. Thanks. In the show notes. Yeah. Um, and if, if someone wants to see more of your work, where can they find you? Um, you can take a look at my website, which is CourtneyMartinPottery.com, or you can look at my Instagram, and I am at Courtney Martin Potter. Courtney, thank you so much for your time and for talking to us and sharing a little bit about your work. Yeah, this was super fun. Thank you for having me. I am super, <laughs> super happy to have you on the show, and um, <laughs> and we thank you, and I love your work, and... Um, also, I love your kids, and I love your husband, and I love that you guys are pirates, and that you eat marshmallows. <laughs> okay, next up, we have an interview with chair maker uh, Tim Manny, aka Mr. Perfect. So you can look for that episode two Tuesdays from today. And to give you a glimpse into the wild world of ladderback chair making, here's a brief clip from that interview. Welcome to my world. That's why it takes me 10 years to make one chair. Yeah, I've, I, have, I have now sucked you into the black hole of my mind. We know you've all been consumed by anxiety following our last episode since we never picked a good name for Birchbark Beth's first birch tree. So, we've been in touch and Beth told us that she's finally settled on her name. Or rather, that the name was revealed to her. Bonnie. Bonnie the birch. (laughs) There you go. Now you can sleep tonight. (laughs) Oh, thank goodness. What else we got, Umble? Uh, please feel free to hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review us because it helps with the show's visibility. Yeah, thank you so much to everyone who's taken the time to rate the show or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's weirdly very important to help people find the show. So thank you for taking the time to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Also, thanks to everyone who has contributed to our Patreon account. Every dollar helps us bring you meaningful and entertaining interviews and enables us to build a community that supports folks trying to get into handcraft. In particular, thanks to Ian for your generous contribution through the website and to our new patrons, Addison, Andrew, Ariana, Brad, Kelly, Martin, Paul, Sandra, and Scott, who's actually my dad, thanks dad, (laughs) for supporting us on Patreon. (laughs) We are still filling our minimum requirements for the t-shirt order, but thanks to you all who've reserved one already. 
Follow us on Instagram at Cut the Craft Podcast to see images of our guest's work and stay up to date on happenings and releases. You can find us both on Instagram at Amy underscore Umble and at BH Bidler. Also, if you have any questions, interview requests, or other crafts you would like to see represented, you can email us at cutthecraftpodcast at gmail.com. Obviously, Amy and I are just two people with our own interests to guide us and a limited range of experiences to draw from, but we're dedicated to covering as much ground as we can, so don't hesitate to get in touch. Mm-hmm. I know this may just be two yahoos hanging out in their living rooms making chit-chat. We're forever grateful to those who've helped make this podcast a reality. Thanks, Brad Vetter, for his graphic design, our good friends, the High Divers, for their music, our resident poet, Justin Williams, for his commercial wizardry, and Ian Karstens for his help and advice with the technical side of things. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Thanks. See you next time.